It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, episode 12 with host Dick Cavett. Originally aired on January 31st, 1976. And today it's me, Keith, and I'm joined by Matt. How you doing tonight, Matt? Hi, Keith. Feeling good. Great to be back on Saturday night. We've got some housekeeping to take care of. First off, this is episode 12. We did record this originally in June, and then we had a data loss where we lost episodes 11 through 14. So uh, 11 was recovered, 13 was recovered. However, 12 and 14, we're having to re-record. So yeah, that's what we're doing here tonight. However, unfortunately, NBC did not lose episode 12 from the archives. <laughs> yeah, you hear about all these great things that were scrubbed over by like by taping over old tapes. And I don't know how sad a lot of people would be if, if uh, a couple of these were, were lost to Saturday Night Live archives. The bigger note is uh, it's been a few months. And uh, in that time, uh, D has decided to go off and uh, pursue some other archives artistic ventures still a big a friend of the show still a, still a friend to us but going forward matt and i will be regular features of the show as we have been and uh, we'll be having a third person sitting in sometimes that might even be d as well d is going to contribute some things to us from time to time so uh, we'll see how the future goes there but best wishes from us to d going forward absolutely and talk about mirroring the product our first featured player but not regular <laughs> cast member. Gosh. So, uh, yeah, in the meantime, we have been in touch with some uh, some pretty cool cats who are going to come on and, and join us. And whether or not we continue with the revolving third person or if we have uh, regular third persons or semi-regulars, we're, we're not sure how that's going to go yet. Joe Piscopo, probably available. Maybe so. I'm sure there's somebody on staff that's just, you know, throughout the whole 50, almost 50-year 50 run of the show who, who, who would like to come on and, and, and maybe tell us some uh, things they've been thinking about. Even just some disgruntled P.A., from like the 80s. So Dick Cavett, uh, you know a bit about Dick Cavett, Matt. I know we covered it last time, but just to uh, give the listeners a, a very quick overview. Dick Cavett's a well-known and respected uh, talk show host. Cavett was born in 1936. He'd been an actor, a writer, and worked a lot of different places in TV before getting the first of his many shows called The Dick Cavett Show. The Dick Cavett talk show ran from 68 to 74, he was usually scheduled against uh, Johnny Carson and Merv Griffin. He usually got creamed, but he kind of had the cult audience. Um, he had an interesting way of doing it. A lot of the time it was one issue, one guest for the whole show. And uh, uh, from what I've seen of Dick Cavett from the era, it's it's very interesting, very heavy talk, uh, smart stuff. It's, it's not just waka waka jokes the whole time. He sort of, though he didn't have the long runs of the Carsons and, and the like, the uh, intellectuals of the country really liked Cavett. And uh, Cavett stuck around uh, a bit uh, doing different things. And to this day, he's still uh, commenting on his time and, and what he did on television and, and, and has certainly played a role in a lot of different things. But at this point in time, when he hosted uh, Saturday Night Live, it was shortly after his uh, big talk show had been canceled. And he was taking a step away and being just being a host. He apparently had a great time here. So um, what's your knowledge of Dick Cavett up to this point, Matt? 
Only that he was a, uh, a talk show host and a uh, successful one. I had no idea, however, that he was opposite Carson and Griffin. That is, uh, that is a slapping around indeed. I, I can't imagine that worked out well. Because as you said, it's not the Waka Waka, which is, I'll kick Jay Leno at any opportunity. What a terrible show that was. But it was always the late night leader in like ratings and things like that. So, And I'm not saying that Jay Leno was on the level of Carson or Griffin. Anyway, I digress. Something about how you were describing it reminded me of the Tom Snyder show in the 90s with the with the one guest format and sometimes just just taking a whole episode uh, to go through something that was uh, a little more serious or involved than uh, his contemporary late night counterparts. And uh, I get that vibe from Dick Cavett as well. I like them both. I like that style of late night talk show. I think it's a great alternative. There's just this format now where people expect, you know, the three guests and uh, Carson did it. Carson made a lot of money. So that's what the talk shows became. Um, I think the UK still holds true to the old style. Um, there are some of those shows that do still have the, the one hour, one guest. It's still very much alive on radio. The last probably example of this uh, that, that was sort of readily available would have been Charlie Rose, I would I would think. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one at all. I know, uh, I think my grandma liked it. It's a very good show. Cavett's musical guest, the musical guest, is Jimmy Cliff, and we'll talk about uh, Jimmy Cliff when we get there. And uh, some other people appearing tonight are Marshall Efron and Al Allen Peterson, and we'll talk about them as well when they come up. So the show starts with Chevy Chase in his dressing room, surrounded by uh, s- uh, several women. He's called to the stage, and on the way to the stage, he runs into Garrett Morris. Chevy Chase tells Garrett Morris that his back is sore, and he's sad that Garrett isn't on the show so much. Morris says that's great, he just likes working on the show. Chase heads out to the stage, and Morris has a Chevy Chase voodoo doll, and he starts doing some voodoo on him and sticking some pins in his back. And as he does this, Chevy, who's now sitting on a stool, starts getting these weird pains. And finally, Garrett throws the voodoo doll against the wall, and Chevy, who's in the middle of singing The Way You Wear Your Hat, falls off the stool into the audience. Garrett was great, but this was kind of whatever. Yeah, it's the uh, it's this typical fall open. I mean, it's just another another vehicle to get there. Uh, I do. There was something very real life about this. Uh, I feel like that conversation happened between them at some point. Like, sorry, you're not on the show much this week. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I loved Chevy sitting with all the ladies in his dressing room. That yeah, was- I think a lot of them were the, I'm, 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 I, Rosie Schuster was there and I'm pretty sure Ann Beats was as well. I, I think it was kind of the writing team and, and other female crew members. They're still at a stage where they're not really pulling in extras unless they absolutely have to, right? Mm-hmm. So then we go to a Dick Cavett monologue. I wrote here, it's a very Dick Cavett-like monologue. <laughs> I don't know if he wrote it, but it's definitely delivered in his kind of intellectual way. I could definitely see the influence that Cavett had on the likes of Letterman and Conan. He talks about how he's seen as an intellectual, but has a much more lowbrow humor. And he does the old bit where you shoot a gun in the air, and then it's usually a duck that falls down. In this case, it's a... Uh, a inflatable cow. Nice, fresh take on an old bit. Um, that being said, this was kind of it, it was Dick Cavett, but it didn't, and it was good, well done. But it didn't have didn't have the energy I like in a monologue. That being said, it's kind of to me the first true Saturday Night Live monologue. Yeah, I could see why you'd say that. He was. Uh, I did find him very. Uh, it sounds silly. He was very Dick Cavett 
in it. My, my personal favorite part is uh, when he jokingly asked the audience if they had any questions. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought it would have been really funny if when he shot the gun up in the air, if uh, instead of a cow, it was like Chevy Chase or Belushi or like one yeah, of them. Yeah, I'm sure Belushi, either one of them would have definitely done the fall. So then we go to the first sketch. It's guns and alcohol. So Jane Curtin is on the phone talking about her new boyfriend uh, that she's uh, met up with since the death of her husband. And Chevy Chase comes in fresh from duck hunting. As he enters the door, his gun goes off. Chase kills Curtin's dog by accident. Jane Curtin kind of laughs it off and says he was close to seven. And that's all right. Um, Then Belushi comes home as her son and Chevy shoots him. Lorraine Newman as the daughter comes in and Chevy accidentally shoots her. And what's going on here is uh, Jane Curtin is talking about the relatively new book that came out at that point called Total Woman written by Maribel Morgan. Um, Chevy shoots her. And uh, really this whole thing is a uh, commentary on this, this book, Total Woman, which basically said women should turn over everything, all their hopes and dreams and everything, turn it all over to get the uh, the perfect man. And so it's a, a commentary on that real-life book. Not a very progressive stance even for then. No, not at all. It, I don't even know if it was progressive for like 1876. <laughs> you know, it was really, uh, really weird. So no surprise that, that the writers uh, took the piss out of this book. Um, the sketch for me, I just didn't find it funny. Um, it was just silly. So and not being overly familiar, knowing that the book exists, but not having ever read it or had any interest in reading it, it didn't really speak to me. No, nor I. I also thought it was miscast. I didn't buy Jane giving me like desperate single mom vibes. Yeah. This would have been better for Lorraine or Gilda. And I also think Chevy's good. I like him, but I, I felt like that needed something a little goofier. Like if Belushi did it, you know, in his wild eyed way, uh, I just think that would have been funnier. Uh, so yeah, there's not a lot of jokes there. I mean, it's only one joke, but I also thought it was miscast. Definitely not first sketch of the night material at all. Next up, we have our first kind of commercial. It's Dick Cavett's School of Auto Refinishing and Upholstering. And this is the first in a series of sketches that uh, happen where Dick Cavett talks about the businesses he set up, these uh, correspondence schools where people can learn from Dick Cavett things you would never expect Dick Cavett to be able to teach. (laughs) This was funny. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I like uh, he's this is uh, this is some good casting not that he's not the star of the show but what a, he he's a great shill because mm-hmm. he's, you know he shouldn't be a shill uh, he's he's too articulate he's too well spoken uh, but here he is hawking correspondence courses on community television uh yeah i thought it was great and i thought he was really good in it he's a, he can be a funny guy with the right material i'm sure exactly yeah and this is the right material for that yeah chiron comes up and a male audience member says he never saw deep throat he learned it by rote. <laughs> he must have been one of the only uh, young men in 1970s America that didn't see Deep Throat. Especially in New York, where you have like 42nd Street and all those sleaze theaters. Like, it must have been everywhere. Our first musical performance tonight is Jimmy Cliff's The Harder They Come. This is a uh, kind of a reggae ska song. Um, I absolutely loved it. Progressive message that really gelled with the show. It sounded great. He's a super talented singer. And it, it goes into that sort of 1970s red camera flares, which which really worked well. Uh, the song is originally from a 1972 movie of the same name that Cliff starred in. I just don't like the musical guests in season one. I haven't really liked any of them. I've been slightly entertained 
uh, by obviously talented people. But as far as my personal preferences go, uh, the show has not yet uh, given me something that I that I latch on to. Uh, it's just it's uh, it's there for my entertainment. But yeah, I don't dig the music in this first season. For some reason, I was watching this one and was I mean I I thoroughly enjoyed it and and we've been at odds about some music throughout. But this one, I think I don't know if it was the lyrics or or just the performance, but I kind of got the vibe. This is getting closer to what you mean or what you've been looking for. I could be wrong. I don't want to say it's not cool because it's cool for the time, but like it's not my perception of cool. Like unfortunately, the show's going to get really bad in the early 80s. But what doesn't get really bad in the early 80s is that for whatever reason, as much as the comedy will begin to suffer, whoever's booking the talent musically in the early 80s does a cracking job. Uh, And I, I really feel it's like such a complete turnaround from these kind of a little more generic i don't and again i i'm using these words really loosely stuff that's just it's not edgy enough yet for me the music and this this period of musical guest just doesn't do it for me because i just find it a little too radio friendly is not quite what i mean but Mm. i don't know it's it's a little too late 70s top 40 for my ranking next up we go to John Belushi as uh, Lowell Brock, a tax service provider from H&L Brock. And H&L Brock will cheat for you. They'll give you a bogus receipt form. Um, I really like Belushi as this Lowell Brock character. This is quite funny. Sleazy tax guy. I've been pretty hard on Belushi in past episodes. Uh, he, he does grow on me the more I watch him. I thought this was very well done by him. I re- I cracked up when he, when he opened that receipt book and started pointing blindly at the receipts. Uh, yeah. That, that yeah. was a big highlight for me. Oddly enough, though, this uh, these sketches were cut from reruns. Yeah. What do you think's up with that? Just time? I don't know. Is it too close to H and R Block? Probably time. Uh, to be honest, this episode actually is, it did run long, and I'll mention something a little later on that one. Gosh, should have lost that first sketch with Chevy and Jane with the shotgun or the rifle, rather. So we had the weekend update. Uh, it begins with a, a BJ joke on the phone. <laughs> Casual roadhead jokes from Chevy Chase. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> A really funny joke I enjoyed where the limits on campaign spending had dropped. So uh, Nelson Rockefeller, uh, Norman Lear, the Shah of Iran, and Hugh Hefner have all decided to enter the race. There's a picture of uh, of Fidel Castro holding two fingers in the air, and uh, Chevy says CIA has developed an exploding cigar to kill Castro. <laughs> There are some uh, bad drawings of the Patty Hearst trial while Chase uh, narrates what, what was happening. The famous Professor Backwards joke where uh, Professor Backwards was killed and his cries of pleh, pleh were uh, ignored. Francisco Franco is still dead. There are individual pieces of canned tuna being found in the ocean. And Newman is in Angola with with a British mercenary played by Dan Aykroyd. And uh, they just wind up up getting it on. As far as weekend update goes, I did not... One thing I don't like is uh, when Chevy Chase does his little nasal commentaries. Uh, I, I do not dig those. I mean, the, the his his joke at the top of the sketch on the phone was, uh, that was laugh out loud funny. <laughs> and, uh, and everything else just kind of petered off into uh, kind of dated topical humor for the most part at this stage. Yeah. 
We go to a commercial break, which is the re-airing of the Felina cat food commercial, which was one of my favorites, where the woman is, uh, they they make two casseroles, one with expensive tuna and one with cat food, and uh, they give it to some random woman to see if she can tell the difference. I also uh, love that. That's a great one. Second half of weekend update. Uh, so we have another Emily Latella editorial. This one is about the Eagle Rights Amendment. I it's been a while since I, I rewatched this and uh, haven't seen Emily lately. One thing I did notice about Emily Latella in this episode is in this one there were jokes within the joke. Uh, it was it was really funny. Um, she said, "I understand the eagle is a national symbol, but I wouldn't want to sit next to one on a bus." Um, little things like that that did give me the chuckle. So as far as Emily Latella, who I am getting sick of, uh, I'm going to give this one a uh, a, a pass because it did make me laugh a few times. Yeah, and that's I think that's some jokes are like when when you're just beating the same character's basic joke into the ground those are absolutely necessary i think if if you're gonna bother running with it because otherwise you know you're just kind of sitting around waiting for the joke and then again in lieu of uh, garrett morris's uh, service to the heart of hearing we have tom schiller who delivers his lines as ricky ricardo for lucy fans tom schiller does a great uh, desi arnaz impression yeah that was pretty good i mean i you know how much i like the garrett morris stuff but he did pretty good then we go to uh dick Cabot School of Hydroplaning and Hovercrafting, another great little correspondence school ad from a Cabot. He just when he, his his delivery on them is just perfect for me. Like this is my style of comedy. The 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 smooth talking, smarter than you scumbag. But he you know he doesn't look like a scumbag and he doesn't sound like a scumbag. So why wouldn't you believe him? Mm, yeah, uh, he nails it. <laughs> Uh, then we go to Our Town. Um, it's uh, Dick Cabot playing the stage manager in a parody of Thornton Wilder's uh, play Our Town. Our Town was uh, set in a small town. It was all very folksy. However, in this case, the town is New York City. So Cabot is kind of talking about the tattoo parlor and the dirty bookshop and a woman getting murdered as he delivers his lines. This was well-written. I think Cavett's delivery was a little sloppy and a little long. I'd love to see Cavett actually have played the stage manager in the original Our Town. There's some jokes in this that wouldn't fly well today. Uh, maybe in the hands of a different actor, this might have worked better, but uh, it, it just felt long to me. I, I agree. It did seem a little long. And I also, I'm not familiar with Old Town at all. Okay, yeah. So uh, I was just, uh, just kind of coasting through this sketch hoping dick would get me through it and uh dick let me down a little then we're off to jimmy cliff's many rivers to cross uh my goodness he had great power and control of the uh of the song um he was they seemed to be completely exhausted when it was done this one has a bit of a different tone from the first one it was equally equally good i really enjoyed this he wrote this when he was 21 and it charted in the uk and new zealand i think he actually may have written it when he was living in, in, in the UK. Really like this song. I, I thought it was well done. I've heard different versions by different people over the years too, but uh, you're the music guy. What are you thinking? I mean, I guess I, I don't have anything to add. I might not have said uh, regarding the first segment. I know he's talented. You can tell. And uh, I can certainly acknowledge that. I know Adele is a very talented singer. I'm not buying either CD though. Then we go to the Dick Cavett lookalike contest. Uh, which was won by a gentleman by the name of Dwayne Christensen. And uh, character actor, voice actor Marshall Efron comes out. Now, Cabot is a very thin, small, red-headed man. Um, and uh, Dwayne Christensen is a heavy-set man with, a, with black hair and a, and a black mustache. They look absolutely nothing alike. 
Cavett points that out several times, but uh, <laughs> Christensen slash Efron doesn't seem to uh, doesn't seem to, to to go along with him. Um, and a nice little joke is at the bottom of the screen they put up a Chiron, so you can tell the, the two apart. This was short and and, and sweet. It was it was funny. Um, I, I mean, this joke has been done a thousand times since, but uh, it worked well. I liked it. Yeah, and I like this is the dick I like <laughs> with the uh, he's agog at like <laughs> with the uh, with the situation, and that's another. He would have been good in. Uh, I wish he'd done some some films, some comedy films. I guess that's probably why I like him. I see a lot of the <laughs> this young Dick Cavett is a real up and comer. Is what I'm yeah. trying to say. A lot <laughs> of opportunities in, for this kid. He was in Beetlejuice. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, I don't right. remember him in Beetlejuice. I've been meaning to watch Beetlejuice again anyway. Always worth a watch. Our next one is a Gary Weiss film. Gary Weiss is on a roll with us. This one is really interesting. It's a tailor and a plastic surgeon, um, and it's cutting back between the two, and, and each of them are discussing how they could change the other with within their expertise. So the... Uh, Taylor is talking about how he would change the plastic surgeon's suit. And the plastic surgeon is talking about what he would do to make the uh, tailor look younger and more vibrant or more alive. I really enjoyed this. It wasn't overly funny, but my goodness, what a clever idea. His uh, movies, his films, his short films here on Saturday Night Live, I, I definitely get the impression that they're not supposed to be ha-ha funny, but they are supposed to be strange slice of life. And uh, gosh, they're just so really well done. Uh, I, I would like more of this outside of Saturday Night Live where he had a little more freedom. Yeah, I, I, I'm on record. I've been a, I've always enjoyed his films. Another young up-and-comer for the kids to watch out for. Our next segment is uh, Jane Curtin as Betty Ford hosting the show Dance to the Nation. So these are uh, viewer questions, are, which are being read by Chevy Chase, are read to Betty Ford, uh, first lady, as she dances around. As she dances, she answers questions from viewers. Now, the questions are very similar to her own personal situation, and she panics and dances off the stage when she's asked by a woman about how to deal with her incompetent husband who grew to be a successful person. This is notable as it's the first time the First Lady was parodied on Saturday Night Live. I thought this was not great. Uh, it's good to see Jane Curtin spreading her wings a little bit and being a little bigger than just the straight person, and I thought she did a good job there. I do like Jane. Uh, I've always, she's, I mean, I, I believe I've already said she's my favorite of the early female cast members. Uh, I just generally find she's just, she has this professional air about her. Gilda is, uh, you know, she's so goofy and Lorraine seems kind of chaotic and uh, Jane just seems to be, uh, I guess, mirroring reality. Uh, she seems to be the one that has it together. But yeah, that's neat, a neat trivia about the first lady. I didn't know that. Yeah, so then we go to another H&L uh, Brock. Um, Belushi gives two more tips as to why H&L Brock is a good choice for taxes. Tip number three, they pay off IRS officials. Pretty unabashed there. <laughs> <laughs> and number four, the H&L Brock deduction. This is done by a senator who gives a cut to people who use H&L uh, Brock. During this one, or maybe during the third one, I'm watching it and saying how many of these high, high, high level income tax service providers, accountants and whatnot, uh, how many of these are actually legitimate things that are done at the super high level of, of the world, the one percenters, if you will? 
Oh, I certainly believe that entirely. Uh, was was this also out of curiosity? Was this also cut from reruns? Were all of them removed? I believe so. Yeah, all three H and L I mean, I have the DVD collection, so I'm I'm seeing them. So I'm not sure exactly what happened during reruns, or if it was just certain affiliates cut it or whatever. But uh, there is a note that uh, these didn't air in reruns. Hmm, interesting. But you're certainly right. Uh, truth in the humor. Absolutely. Yeah. Then we go to looks at books and Chevy hosts Dick the Stick Cavett, who is a Nebraska pimp. He has one employee, Marianne, who uh, works the whole state. Now, Marianne's a far out girl who doesn't wear a bra, but she won't go all the way. It was funny. You know, it's just small town pimpery, I guess. Um, uh, I was more distracted and annoyed by the fact that Chevy was hosting Looks at Books, which Jane Curtin has done the whole whole time through. Yeah, not a fan of that either. And I really think uh, to take Dick Cavett and do this, uh, you really only get one shot at this joke, I think. It's like that episode of King of the Hill where Hank Hill became a pimp when Hank Hill was walking around with that hat. This this is the vibe I got from that. I, I thought, I mean, Dick did okay. I wish, there was, I wish it was a little funnier. Yeah, like I said, I think you get one shot at this joke. Dick did fine. I didn't think the jokes were there. No, it was, you know, it's touch long, but the real, the really the take home for me was just Chevy doing this again. Like didn't the opening of the show feature Garrett saying he didn't have much to do on the show. You know what I mean? Like, why is Chevy also doing this? He will go on to have quite a bad reputation as we know. I've not been as positive on Chevy as, as you and D. Yeah, it's it's like episode fourteen. I think it hits the wall for me, and and we'll he get. Didn't, he didn't need to be here. He didn't need to be in a couple of the sketches. He shouldn't have been the hunter, and he shouldn't no. have been the host here. Exactly. No, for sure. We then go to a Chiron. It's a elderly woman, or actually an elderly couple who don't understand young people today, and uh, they get a kick of that. These are just real people, right? That they flash on the screen. Yeah, for sure. Just regular audience members. Yeah. I mean, you never know what, you know, they could be a friend of the crew or, you know, um, I know early on in an episode, we wondered if they got permission first or, or got a waiver afterwards, but yeah. it wouldn't matter. It's already gone out in live TV. So yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I wonder if they're flashing these during the dress rehearsal on different audience members. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Um, our next performance is a third one from uh, Jimmy Cliff. It's uh, Wajaka Man. This one is a more uh, traditional reggae sound to it. This wasn't bad. I, it didn't hit me the way the other two were. It was just interesting that that Cliff got three uh, three performances on this. Uh, that's that's rare. Unless yeah, you're, uh, unless you're Paul Simon. I didn't, uh, and I didn't like it. I really think there should just be two songs. And you know, it, it would. It's easy for me to say because I grew up with two songs. It's always been two songs. So that you know, that's what's just embedded in my brain is two songs. But, you know, just because that's true doesn't mean it's also not the best way. I think three songs is too many songs. And I think they realize that, too. And I think that's why there is now two. Um, our next segment is another H&L Brock. Brock's fifth tax tip as to why you should use H&L Brock. They have close ties to the underworld. <laughs> I really like that. And uh, what we see at the end of the sketch is kind of funny, too. Throughout the sketch, uh, Lorne Michaels crawled out and tied John Belushi's shoes together, and he can be seen crawling away as the camera pans out. Uh, some versions can actually hear uh, Belushi saying, what the fuck, as he, <laughs> as he realizes his shoes have been tied together. This was just, it's kind of weird. I, I, I don't, and the audience did see Lauren, I, I, re-watching it, I could tell the audience is laughing as... As the timing would have been such that Michaels is crawling out. You say there's a version where you can hear the f bomb. What uh, what's up with that? Where are these versions? Like, was it just were originally live or on some VHS? Yeah. Like, how did that work? 
Yeah, it was originally live, and I think it it was cut out of the reruns. Okay. Um, but is that I mean, why they cut them all out? Maybe because they ended with a curse, and they were just like, "Fuck it, kill them all." Yeah, that'd be weird. I mean, that's the telltale end of of this sketch. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would be weird. That's probably not right. Our next bit is the uh, home movies. It's by someone named Harry McDivitt, and it's called the Apple Follies. And it's a bunch of male apples. It's stop motion. Uh, male apples going to a strip show with female apples taking off their peels. <laughs> and the show was broke broken up by the plum cops. This was cute. Uh, it was it was fun. Uh, it's probably exactly what they wanted when they asked for home movies. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cute. I'll take this all day over any Muppet sketches. <laughs> for sure. And we didn't have any Muppets this time. I know. It was a real treat. <laughs> and the final major segment is uh, features Al Allen Peterson. And uh, this was something when, when we first recorded this episode, I mentioned that I could find absolutely nothing about Al Allen Peterson on the internet. And three months later, after still looking and searching, I can't find anything. What I did notice, though, this time during his introduction, Cabot said it was his television debut and that they were uh, exploring unique ways of casting. So whether or not they found this uh, this person in a drag show or a strip club or a community theater, uh, we have no idea. So uh, Peterson gets up and sings, I Gotta Be Me, and eventually strips out of a construction worker's uh, costume into uh, women's underwear and uh, with a blonde wig. This was probably really, really funny at the time. The uh, live audience seemed to love it. It's just, it's not particularly funny today, and not just politically, but this sort of thing is also something that has been done over and over again. Indeed, and I also just don't think it's the kind of thing I, I like. It, it was again because the uh, you mentioned the live audience really enjoyed it. I don't think it translates well on television either. Uh, there's there's no energy and there's there's no sense of that. Uh, I don't want to say burlesque, but you know you you don't get you're not getting the vibes. That, mm-hmm. that I think are really necessary to enjoy this segment. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't, I yeah, it's as soon as I heard I got to be me, I kind of thought, well, he's going to be him somehow, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I think that's where we're going. So as I mentioned, the H&L Brock sketches were cut, and there's also a few places that suggest a, uh, a drug kingpin sketch was cut. Um, and whether that was aired originally and was cut from the reruns or just not on the DVD or uh, I could find no record of this sketch. So I wonder if it was something that may have made dress rehearsal and then was later cut. But it's another sketch that may be out there somewhere. Lost in the annals of time somewhere. It's so fascinating to me sometimes that, that we just lose things that were on like major network televisions. But I guess, I mean, shit happens. We kind of were talking about it at the top of the episode. Remember the Universal Music Fire where like they, a bunch of masters just burned? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, well, we just don't have those anymore. Like yeah. that's crazy that uh, to me that shit like that can happen. And uh, yes, or you not being able to find Allenson's information online. Some things really do just get lost. And I mean, I'm a fan of uh, silent films and I still hope that there's a a vault somewhere that people just forgot about that has, you know, decades and decades of work sitting in it, but not likely, sadly. So we'll just jump into our epilogue here. Uh, Dick Cavett, still around, still in show business. He's, he's an occasional guest on things and an author. He was, he became one of the early faces of uh, struggling with bipolar disorder uh, for celebrities. He did a lot of uh, awareness and whatnot. I regard him now as a very well-respected yet seldom-seen elder statesman on television. Um, and we will see Dick Cavett again in the future. Really? Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I, I enjoyed his time here. Yeah, like, again, like I said right before we started recording, I just like the cut of his jib. There's something mm-hmm. about him that uh, that's, that I just find appealing. 
Our musical guest, Jimmy Cliff, continued to have a very active career, collaborating with a lot of uh, A-listers. His uh, last release was in 2012 and eventually got uh, inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2010. Still working, I believe. Keep on trucking, Jimmy. Marshall Efron, the uh, Dick Cavett lookalike, he appeared in film, did some minor character stuff, and some uh, voice work on some high-profile projects until about 2009, and then he died in 2019 at 81. Um, This is his only appearance on the show, but uh, it was a fun one. Harry McDivitt, who did the Apple Follies, uh, some acting bits here and there, but I can't find much about this gentleman. Um, hopefully, there's a, a whole bunch of uh, home movies that Harry McDivitt made uh, sitting in a in a vault somewhere. Not universal. He didn't make them with Bob Crane. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! That's somebody who I expect to host, and I don't think he does. But he he might be. Is he deceased by the? No, he's not dead yet. So I guess his his star had fallen by this point, though. Um, and finally, Al Allen Peterson. I can find nothing on this person, um, nothing concrete. I would say possibly a short career, maybe you've changed names. Is it possible, like, like is there, and again, I'm coming in knowing nothing, so I'm sorry if this is a stupid question, but is it possible that he was just like Chevy's Coke dealer and they put him on the air? <laughs> no, I don't get the vibe. I, I sort of think maybe drag performer or... Uh, or, or something like that. I mean, it's, that's possible. But I did see his name elsewhere, like on other okay. shows too. Uh, and, and it's the type of thing that as, as someone who likes to know that sort of stuff, it's driving me absolutely bonkers. So, um, uh, you know, if you're out there, Al, <laughs> let us know how you're doing. <laughs> it's just weird for someone to appear on Saturday Night Live with no obvious connection. And then... Mm to disappear into the ether. I mean, this is not a, this is not a sleep. Like this show is a hit right mm-hmm. now. It's yeah. Not, I mean, yeah. Like people are watching it. It's cool shit. So mm-hmm. yeah, it is weird. Um, and as I mentioned, this, uh, this episode originally ran very long. So the goodbyes were cut. And another thing that happened in the reruns is they actually use the goodbyes from another Dick Cavett episode. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Dick Cavett comes back to say goodbye and, you know, Dana Carvey standing there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into our awards and thoughts. The music for me was very strong and, and, and in some ways the uh, the best element of the show for me. Three were good, but the first two songs, uh, The Harder They Come and uh, Many Rivers to Cross were both awesome songs. I really enjoyed them. I, I mean, I'm not trying to continue to kick Jimmy. It's just not for me. Talented guy. Um, but I mean, I, if I were to watch this episode again in the future and God willing, I will never have to watch this episode again. Uh, but if I did, I, I'd skip those parts, uh, and just give him a nod. Keep, keep on trucking, Jimmy. And the host, uh, Dick Cavett was used as well as Dick Cavett could be at this stage of the uh, cast. Why didn't Um, they have him do a talk show? Yeah. They didn't have him host anything. eh? Yeah, like that's that seems like it writes itself. You, you know, take it. Maybe he he interviews wacky characters that that are increasingly over the top, or or maybe his guests are perfectly normal, and he becomes more and more erratic. Uh, mm-hmm. Just seems like a missed opportunity. Or maybe it's something he he cho- he assisted not to do. You know, huh, he, was, he sure. was out of the he was out of the game at that point, right? There, yeah, he was, he was canceled. Uh, no, it wasn't. His, you said his show was just canceled. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, teaching hydroplaning and upholstering. <laughs> <laughs> so the worst bit for uh, for you tonight, Matt, the worst sketch or whatever. I really didn't like that Chevy Chase Jane Curtain bit. The the very first one. 
uh, is probably my least favorite of the night. There, there was a complete absence of Dick. There was a one-joke sketch, and I think the wrong people were in it. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And to think that they thought this is good enough to crack open the show, you know, as uh, opening sketch material, didn't work for me at all. Uh, best bit of the night. Uh, I My favorites uh, were uh, Dick as the shill. The uh, the course, correspondence course, Dick, really did it for me. But, I mean, that's really hard for me to say because I really, Belushi just really shined in those insurance commercials, I thought. It's funny, though, because they're both basically the same format. So that's a tough call for me. But I guess, you know, if I had to choose, uh, I would probably go with uh, the correspondence courses. I went with the Gary Weiss film, and it was actually his worst Gary Weiss film, except for the uh, the Christmas airport one, which we've <laughs> discussed. Yes. Um, but uh, it wasn't funny. Uh, well, it was funny, but not laugh funny. It was amusing. But uh, that was uh, that was a slight win over the Belushi H&L Brock bits. Star of the night. Oh, star of the night. I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, I want to pick Dick. Okay. I, uh, I thought he, he really came through when he had the material to come through with. Uh, like in that, that lookalike bit, his, ex- his, I thought his expression was great. Uh, as the pimp, I thought, you know, the, the jokes weren't there, but he was into it. He was committed. He was willing to go there. Uh, I thought he brought it as a host, and I, I wish there was a little more for him to do. With, I agree. However, I went with Belushi. Um, the H&L Brock bits were funny. Very, very funny. Uh, he was out of his element here and did an amazing job. I kind of wish this was his element. But, I mean, that's saying that only he and Jane Curtin and Chevy Chase really had any stuff to do tonight. Uh, they kind of slept on everyone else, but uh, I went with Belushi. Overall thoughts for me, this episode, I think, is by and large the worst so far. Uh, energy was super low. Um, it just didn't, I don't know, it, it was a different vibe. In the previous episode, I, I sort of suggested people might need a break, and they definitely do now, I think. Fortunately, as Cavett notes, they're going to be off for two weeks. Throughout the cast, nobody was given a hell of a lot. Um, no one was around too much. And a lot of the time was taken up by the guests, and there were three musical performances. Cavett wasn't super immersed, but I don't know if it would have been within his best use of his talents for him to have been immersed. The music was great um, but for me, but not, but not great enough for me to give the show uh, any high marks at all. I'm giving this one a five which is among my lower grades so far. That's uh, that's funny because I don't think we match numbers typically, but I would also give it a five. I thought it was a passable, not uh, not unpleasant to watch episode, but nor was it, man, did you see that Dick Cavett episode last night? And in her, uh, on the last recording, Dee gave it a 4.5. And uh, the average, that makes our average 4.8. Not great. No, um, and uh, looking at the IMDb score, which uh, was 6.3, we are exactly in line. Our exchange rate of approximately 1.5. Yeah, I think we're right on the mark there. I love it when we hit the exchange rate. I don't know why I find it satisfying. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. It's it's really nice to be even within a, a, a small margin of uh, error. Of the 24 shows in season one, this episode was actually ranked 23 out of 24. Dang. So this is not a well-liked episode. But it definitely had its uh, definitely had its moments. Yeah, it had its moments. But I mean, I, I really think, and you brought it up the the lack of the not ready for primetime players and the third song, huge Achilles mm-hmm. heel. I yeah. think our next episode will be Peter Boyle and Al Jarreau from Valentine's Day, February fourteenth, nineteen seventy six. I'm looking forward to uh, 
to seeing you and uh, D on the, uh, in the next episode. And uh, this one is does not have to be re-recorded. So this one is uh, in, in, in the time. It's already a good one. But in the meantime, Matt and I will be trying our best to look exactly like Dick Cavus here in SNL.